0: The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 65, reading verses 20 to 23. "Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought of a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed." They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain, or bear children doomed to misfortune for they will be a people blessed by the Lord they and their descendants with them thanks be to God
1: We're going to have a quiz um, just a short one uh, for today um, I want you to talk with your neighbours what do you understand the good news of Jesus to be just a quick 30 seconds. What do you understand the good news of Jesus to be? Okay, time's up. Not quite like Countdown, but not far off. Um, anyone want to venture a reply? A friend. a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Good answer, thank you. Okay, anyone else? Sorry? He will rise again and forgive us. Thank you. Good answer. Okay, anyone else? Sorry? God loves us. God loves us. That's good news. Thank you very much. Always nice to hear. What a relief. Um, but good answer. Anyone? Yes, at the back. Jesus saves. He saves us and the world. Thank you. Good answer. Okay, anyone else? Okay, don't worry. Oh, one more. Emmanuel. God with us. Okay. All lovely. Not necessarily entirely right, but um, don't worry, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come on to that in a minute, because um, our gospel reading is actually going to tell us what the good news was that Jesus offered. So often we, in church, we, we, we somehow at times do weird things with the gospel and weird things with the Bible, and um, we try and make it and force it to be compliant with us and our lives. But actually, occasionally, we need to be challenged and and subverted ourselves by the gospel. Jesus came to, and we're going to hear, he offered a specific message from the outset and throughout his whole ministry of what he proclaimed. The trouble is, we don't necessarily at times understand what he meant. And that's one of the things that we as a congregation are going to constantly keep wrestling with while I'm here with you as your minister. Okay. Um, But we're going to hear now that message. Thank you very much.
2: The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the River Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Thanks be to God.
1: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. Amen. Amen. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Marcus Borg, uh, one of the, the best New Testament scholars of the past, well, 2,000 years, um, in, uh, in his book, Speaking Christian, he, he talks about the way that the church struggles between those people who understand every single word one way and those who understand it all in an entirely different way. But he says that actually that's not the only problem because the problem is that the church ends up talking in a way that people outside don't then understand either. Um, my wife Hazel is a, is a teacher and she'll come home and she'll start giving me a whole load of rubbish about Senkos and this. And I have no idea what she's talking about because it's an entirely foreign language. Some of you might know what she might have been talking about, but frankly, it's exactly the same with the church. We, we talk about things and everyone else is there going, oh, what on earth are they banging on about? There are new words that have cropped up in the church over the past 30 years, that are not actual proper words. Being missional is a a belter of one, and somebody who's very spiritual is another one. Watch out for any people that ever fall into those two camps. What do we mean when we say certain things? What do we mean by repentance? Because I'm sure some of you now think, oh Lord, he's not going to start trying to convict me of my sin today, is it? I'm I'm not, by the way. The trouble is that so often when we use the word repentance in the church, we try and make people feel guilty as soon as we do it. Mainly about sex, if we're honest, because let's face it, what else is there for, for Christians to actually talk about? We're not doing it enough, so we have to talk about it instead. And we want, therefore, people to confess their sins to be made to feel grubby and dirty and only if you feel bad enough can then you really start to understand the gospel. One of the most, um, so you know and so you can feel appropriate pity for me now, I grew up in a place called Barking in Essex. Um, Next door to it is Dagnum, which featured at number 41 in the 50 Crap Towns of the UK book. Um, It it is a truly desperate place. But there's somewhere nearby that's nearly as desperate, and that is Ilford Town Centre. Um, And I know full well that there are some people here who are from Ilford. Um, In Ilford, if you go there, there, it's a little bit like the Soviet Union in the 1980s. The shops are open, but there's nothing in them because everything is actually at lakeside or at blue water. Um, And it's a thoroughly depressing experience. But what makes it even worse are the various religious fanatics that are there on a Saturday morning shouting at you as you try and navigate the various shops. This one guy, lovely beard, shouted at me. This was about 10 years ago. Repent! Repent! And I turned to him and said, I'm only going into Argos, you know, <laughs> the, the, there, there are greater crimes, surely. Um, is this what we mean by repentance? You know, the, the, that old repent, the end of the world is nigh, or Terry Gilliam trying to be a, a false prophet in the life of Brian. Is that our understanding of repentance, that it's all about fear and guilt? And if so, how on earth is that the good news? That Jesus comes to proclaim the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Repentance doesn't mean the way the church too often deploys it. Repentance is rather about each of us having a significant change of perspective, change your thinking. Develop a new insight. Maybe do your very best to look at the world and to look at other people and to look at yourselves as God looks at them. This is um, part of the image of Salvador Dali's Christ of St John of the Cross. Um, Those of you who have ever been to Glasgow, it's in the Kelvin Grove there, painted 1951. The story goes that Dali found an image that St John of the Cross had done years before, a unique image, an image whereby rather than every other painting of the crucifixion, if you think about them, you generally are looking up at the crucifixion virtually every single painting the painting of Christ of Saint John of the Cross is the first one where maybe we are looking at it as God looks at the crucifixion rather than looking up in reverence maybe we can start to understand of a God who understands grief and pain a new perspective a new way of thinking a rare perspective A God who grieves, a God who is not indifferent to our suffering. Change your thinking, repentance. Look at the situation how God looks at it, not how you do. Would that shift your perspective? How is God calling you to change your thinking? Is it the case that actually, for some of us, we need to change our perspective about other people? We, we have a, a whole load of press which is quite happy to label people and stigmatise people and, and view some of the weakest and most vulnerable in our society as dregs or wasters or scroungers and so on. And We hear that rhetoric. Do we need to instead change our thinking and see how God sees them as beloved children of God? Do we need to change our thinking in in our family lives, in how we approach our neighbors, how we respond to that homeless person selling the big issue out there? Do we need to change our thinking about how we're gonna structure this church going forward? Do you need to change your thinking about how you're interacting with the church, with your faith, with your life? I have absolutely no doubt um, that every single day God is calling each and every one of us. My own personal story, I felt the call to ministry back when I was 21 and then did everything I possibly could to avoid it for as long as possible because let's face it, Methodist ministry, that's the way madness lies, if you're not careful. But it's a little bit like that song by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, that God calls every single day. And you can run and you can hide for up to a certain length of time, but God will continue to call you. What is God calling you to Today. Is it to a new form of ministry? Is it to local preaching? We need them. Is it to be involved in that great, glorious cause which all Christians are called to, to fight injustice, to promote love and compassion and healing? Is there some cause that really keeps niggling at you that you should be focusing more of your energies upon? Change your thinking. Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is within our grasp. It is there. We can reach out and grab hold of it. But we need to change our thinking continuously. God is continuously calling each of us to serve that kingdom. Change your thinking. Don't go with what has always been comfortable and easy. And what is familiar and that you know. God is always calling us to to be challenged, to branch out, to look for those new opportunities. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Change your thinking. Renew your perspectives. So my prayer for all of us this week is that we wrestle with what God is trying to say to us that we try and look at the world as God looks at the world. What is God's perspective for you? What is God calling you to this week? And two questions for you. Are you willing to listen? And are you willing to obey? Amen. Amen.